Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, Buck? Survived 24 days in the bubble, only to get back to Cali, especially Malibu today, and got ridiculous smoke in the air. Wasn't sure what I was going to see at the open. It's one of those things that there were so many things going in my head at the start of Cincinnati all the way through, but the theme instantly jumped out, comebacks. There were so many hellacious comebacks early in the tournament and then late in the tournament, and especially on the final weekend, four consecutive days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the greatness of tennis, there's no running out of clock. And you've got to win the final point. I felt like I saw that in so many matches. And that kind of reminds you that when you're down in a match, you're not out of it. And maybe the, one of the greatest comebacks I've seen in a long time was Chorich coming back from two sets to one late at night, 5-1 in the fourth against Sitsipas, who was playing really well. And that one... I thought was the impetus for the rest of the tournament. Comebacks are contagious. And I like to say sometimes when I sit down, like either as a player, as a coach, as a commentator, you might see something that you'd never seen before. And I felt like saying that like at least a half a dozen times, but just reminded me after all this time that I was surprised the level and the competitiveness, and how good the tennis was. I think comebacks are contagious in part because comebacks need belief in order to happen. And if you see somebody else doing it, you know, the round before, you know, that same tournament, I think that only just stokes a little bit more belief in in players that they can come back. Because it, it really just all comes down to hanging in there and not giving up on a match. So... And obviously then from there, you know, re-implementing, you know, some new strategy to get you back. But it, it really all boils down to belief for me. I like to think of a small little phrase that I've kind of used forever. When you're down, whether or not you're a junior, you're a club player, you're a pro, it's all about a small win. A small win to me is, okay, let's get a hold. Let's see if we can get a break. Let's see if we can get a lead. So I think too many players feel like when they're down a set and a break, you're down two sets. You're down, if you're playing an eight-game pro set, you're down 6-1. You're trying to get four games back in one game, and you're not satisfied when you get one game back. So I think the, the whole little concept, obviously when you're way down, usually... There needs to be something that you need to do in your game to maybe change what's happening. But I think most importantly is the mindset. And the mindset is it's not over and you're looking for a small win. And believe it or not, when you, let's say you're down two sets, but all of a sudden you get a couple of holds, it's two all, or you finally get your first lead. That's all, that's the win. Now we got to figure out how to get through the set. And then you reset. And you're not going to make this massive leap 
in three or five minutes. And that's that's the trap that, that happens a lot of times and you lose to yourself that it's too insurmountable. I just like to think about getting a small win and going from there. And it's really helpful. And obviously, when you are down, you have to be adaptable that maybe my game plan that I did discuss with my coach or I thought of on my own isn't working. And maybe I got to improvise on some things that I'm doing. Yeah, I think it it comes down to kind of, as you said, setting those small goals within within a match, breaking it down to, you know, okay, I not just saying... My goal is to come back now and win the next two sets. It's my goal is to you know win this next game. You know my goal is to maybe change my return position or change the way I'm serving in order to give the guy give the guy or or girl a different look. And so I think it just comes down to first setting those those small goals. One thing that let's say you have a a thought about I was going to pick on his or her forehand or backhand or their second serve, and if that isn't working. All of a sudden, when we get some small wins, maybe that, you know what, their forehand happens to be a lot better today. But if you pull back off of it and you're re-strategizing it, I think if you stay away from something for a little while, there's always a time to reinvest in that strategy that you thought would work, but maybe isn't working for the moment. But all of a sudden, it's like, you just talked about giving the returner a different look. Different, you you might have an opportunity to reinvest in that strategy that you thought would work that just wasn't working to begin with. And maybe I just wanted to think about some some specific, some specifics, like just just from this last final with Team Inzverev. I mean, first two sets to none comeback in the Open era in the men's final ever at the U.S. Open. What did you see team doing that to turn it around that that you that would be a good takeaway for club players or junior players? He was getting routed a set and five one. He just looked flat and he looked just a little bit lithless, you, you know. And and it wasn't like wow, he played a five setter before. He only dropped one set. But sometimes, the, sometimes you just wake up on the wrong yeah. side of the bed, right? Or who who knows why why you don't have why the energy is not there necessarily at the start. But I did think there was a huge little carryover early uh, in the third to the end of the second. You know, he wins three games on the trot to at least make it close six four. So I do feel like it's really important at the end of a set. Some people think ah, it doesn't matter if I you know I lose my serve here. No, if you make it competitive, mentally, then all of a sudden you start thinking early in the third, you know what, I if I just won three games in a row here, maybe I could do it. I felt like he wasn't being aggressive on his forehand, and he had been doing that all tournament long. And I felt like when he got the break back early in the third set, he started using the forehand like he had been doing all tournament. I felt like you know, he was hitting it a little bit spinny. He wasn't hitting it through the court. And then he seemed like he was a little bit stiff on his movement. That seemed to relax him. But I, I point to that little run at the end of the second set that gave him a little bit of confidence in the third set. And he started doing things that he'd been doing all tournament. And sometimes when you're losing or nerves, that's what can affect you. Yeah, that that's interesting because I think sometimes... You know, people don't take away enough the positives 
when they lose a set, they think, you know, you lost the set no matter what. It's it's pretty much it's pretty much all bad. When yeah, like I think it was a a, a big moment in that match just for for team to get some more belief going from five two double breakdown in the second set to to losing the set six four. Because even though he lost lost the set. I'm I'm sure he's thinking in my head, okay, I I started to find my game, I started to make some progress, you know. Now let's let that carry over to set three and and kind of keep up with that. If you hear me commentate, I say that a lot. That people think psychologically when you're down four or zero or five zero, it's toast. But I call it the, the, the massive carryover effect. If you get a couple of holds. Then you get a couple of holds to start the next set. Instead of telling yourself it's 6-2 or I was down 4-0, I start to tell myself it's 3-all in the last six games. It's 4-all in the last game. And then that's how you spin the wheels to the positive and keep competing. It's not that, okay, I had this bad start and think about that bad start. Think about now the last four games of the set was 2-all. The first four games is two all. Now I get a break. I'm up 5-4. And maybe even if you win, you get up 4-2, you tell yourself, see, that's a 6-4 set. That's how you make small wins and small wins add up. Yeah, and even just outside of <laughs> your, your Jedi mind tricking yourself on the score, I think for me too, just it's like just getting that getting that break or getting, you know, a couple holds, even if you're down, you know, big in the set, it just at least for me, it just helped to settle me down, helped me to feel like I had my my teeth in the match going forward in the next set. So yeah, just crucial, you know, no matter what, not to just let it go. I mean, I guess unless fitness is becoming a huge factor, but other than that, you you want to try to stick with it to build momentum. The most important thing at any level that you're at is when you get down, some days you just don't come out of it. You You might get thumped. But the one thing that does happen a lot mentally when you're way down is you get fried and you kind of just let it go. I feel like if you lose two and one, but the, you control the controllables that you competed. You tried, you, you worked hard, you didn't have it. That's the same mentality that when you're in this situation that you keep plugging, you keep fighting. And then maybe if I make a little change in my game, Things can happen. And that's how I always kind of look at it. But I do feel like it is too easy for people to think that the lead is too much. And you know what? I'm just not going to give the way I should. Just ask Osaka team. I mean, or Azarenka in the previous round coming back against Serena. It's like not over till it's over. You you know what was fascinating, Buck? I'm not sure I've ever seen this. Four days in a row. First, Azarenka... She makes a comeback where she is down 6-1-1-0 and looks completely out of it against Serena. Then in the final, she's up 6-1-2-0 and points for 3-0. Zverev down a set and 5-0 on Friday to Karenia Busta. You know, gets a little carryover in the second, turns it around, wins in five. Then the, the, on the men's final, he's up a set, 5-1, you know, and then all of a sudden two sets up. So it, 
and he made two comebacks in a row. So it's fascinating that these players made the the big comeback only to lose it. Crazy, crazy pendulum swings over those those few matches. I mean, it really was a bit of a roller coaster. But I mean, that's the beauty of tennis, right? As you said, no no clock to run out. You got to finish off your opponent, you know. And that's why if you're on the downside, just keep plugging away and keep setting those small goals to get back in the match. It, it, it's such a big thing that happens in tennis. Like you, you get off to a slow start or the person gets off to a hot start and it's how you deal with that after that little start. And that can set the tone. And watch- yeah, what, what would you tell yourself, yourself? Like, let's say, I mean, you had like your great comeback match against uh, Becker at the U S open where you're down two sets and a break. Like what, what, what were you telling yourself, you know, at that point? Um, I was actually talking to fans in the, in the stands. They're like, where do you think he's going to go? I'm not reading a serve at all today. But I think more than anything is get even. Get a break back. See if I can just get back in the set. And then once, you know, I did and I toughed out the third set. Yeah, you're not thinking fifth at that point when no you're in the chance. third. You're just getting no, even in the third. Because that's when your brain swells. Yeah. And it becomes it becomes too much to try to tackle all at once. A hundred percent. Let's say you're just playing an eight game pro set in college. You know, you're, you're, you're down five, one, six, one. So in this case, when I'm down two sets and a break, I'm not thinking about the fifth. I'm not thinking about them. Just get even. And then when you get even, okay, let's, let's see if I can get through this set. Then once you start over to the fourth, Maybe, you know what I would do sometimes on the changeover, just tell myself and think about what just happened the last 15 minutes. And you know what? Keep doing it. If all of a sudden, maybe in that match, I think I hung back way too much. And I finally started doing a little better on his serve and then finding my way into the net. You know, it's like sometimes it, you, you have a game plan. You know what? Maybe I better go away from it. And and. and because Shiv used to tell me, don't be losing that first uh, second set 6-1 the same way if you lost it 6-1. And that's kind of, you know, how it was. It was like, you know what? I better try to do something different. I found something that worked and then I kept staying with it. Yeah. And then and then there's the one other kind of match where I think, you know, you see a lot where on the flip side, it's not a blowout first set. Let's say it's a really close first set. Let's say you lost like an 8-6 breaker and maybe you had a set point or something. And obviously there's there's probably very little between the two players that set minus, you know, who played one or two big points better. But then you'll have that really close set, and then all of a sudden the second set can be a massive letdown and it's a seven, six, six, one. Like where where what would you say if you're coaching a player and they just lost, you know, a really brutal first set where they kind of laid it all out there and, and came up just short? It's a great question. It's probably one of the most common tendencies at all level is that massive letdown after disappointment. And in essence, you know, it's possible that if let's say you lost a seven five eight six breaker, tough hour and 10 minutes said, you, you might have been at the same amount of points, but you just didn't win it. But now you constructively think about what I did well and maybe start to think about, you know what, maybe they attacked my backhand a little too much or my second serve. But it's not about hitting that, I call that downer moment. You get that little Debbie downer moment. Next thing you know, you're down three zero four one, 
And that's the disappointment. And it happens a lot too in a set like that, Buck, especially if you serve for the set. You had two set points. Yeah. And you beat yourself up over that. And that's I, it's like compounding interest. It's like you got to be able to move on. I call it moving along. Yeah, because if, if you are the, you know, the, the person that, that pulled out that tight set, you know, how good do you feel when you see your opponent, you know, basically slumped over body language wise, just all of a sudden giving away games much easier early on in the second set? I mean, that just gives you more juice. So all the more reason why you got to hang in there and stay positive when you're on that losing end. Yeah. And when you win a set like that, I've also seen many players think it's going to be, oh, it's going to be too easy. It always comes down to when you have a quick little moment on a changeover to, to think about what just happened. I, I saw one of the most unique things from Osaka in that final uh, against Azarenka down six one two zero. She was n- nothing like we'd seen all tournament. Gets to her changeover at 2-1. And all of a sudden, she takes two towels. She covers herself, like covers her whole self. And I was almost wondering, like, wow, is she just going into the deep thinking zone? What I want to start doing to turn this thing around. And the next game, you, you, you know, she started hitting her forehand a little more. She started playing with a little more shape, a little more angles. She definitely had... A, like a little bit of a thinking moment. I noticed that she did it like three changeovers in a row. And then once she felt like, next thing you know, she's back ahead for three, she stopped doing the towel thing. But she she found herself where she wanted to go. Either that or she was uh, going into the deep uh, meditative space to block out all the negative thoughts and okay. was uh, doing some, some anti-overthinking. Uh, no, that, extremely possible. But I, I, I like the fact that you know, whether or not it was that or it was how I'm thinking that you're thinking a lot. But I noticed the next game, a much better attitude and her game reflected it. Yeah, whatever whatever she was trying to get out of it, you can't deny it's a, it's a concerted effort to try to mix things up and a concerted effort to try and, you know, shift the way you're going about things. So obviously it worked. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was some of the, you know, each match, you know, I was like, wow, we're going to see this again. And lastly, in regards to comebacks, I got to ask you about Andre at the 99 French, which is, you know, definitely regarded as one of the more epic comebacks in tennis history. So, you know, that one obviously had the the rain delay and had quite a lot going on. So, well, first of all, it was one of those days that Andre woke up on the wrong side of the bed and he was flat. He's playing a guy ranked 100 that this is a match that maybe he thought he would never be in this position because he thought he would win in 1991 and he never thought he would be in this position. It was one of those matches where you could just see that somehow if we didn't have that rain delay, I just felt like he was going to get routed. It was honest to goodness, one rain cloud and it rained for about a minute. I kind of winked at him, you know, with my neck. It was like, and, and he picks up his bag, starts walking off the court, and the referee is like, I don't know. And it's like, he kind of forced getting off. I raced out of the stands. As it turned out, all I got was maybe 90 seconds in the locker room. There's nobody in there. And Medvedev kind of came in after, and he was really annoyed that we were leaving the court. Andre was slumped at his chair. They're these old school wood lockers. And... 
sometimes, you know, in it, you didn't know how long it was going to be because, you know, maybe it was going to be a while and actually it was going to rain for a little bit, but I had the feeling it wasn't going to be very long. So you, in that position, sometimes you're never going to, you never know what you're going to say. I asked Andre specifically, what is going on? Which led me to my response. And he said, he's just too good. He just, it's just too good. And I, I just don't feel like there's anything I can do to him. Okay. So I just process that for a few seconds. And first thought was, you know, I had a million thoughts going through my head. And instantly I said, the last 13 days, you've been going out on the court, guns blazing. You've been playing offensive minded, taking it to your opponents. Do exactly that. Go back to doing what you've been doing one point at a time. Didn't say anything about what he said about the guy was too good. This lead is, you know, such an obstacle. Just go do what you've been doing, guns blazing, last 13 days. And then his locker was wide open. And for some reason, I took the locker and I swung it over his head. He was slumped in the chair. It went back, hit back, flew back. The hinge came flying off and it was hanging over like on the edge. He kind of just looked at me, you know, like, dude, are you crazy? And then the referee said, Andre, come back on the court. And then all of a sudden, he, he walks back on the court. Gilly taps me on the shoulder and he says, we're back. <laughs> it was like it, it, you jolted him with the, with the door smash. Yeah, but, but I didn't think about the score line or what you got to do to get, you know, I just tried to make it brief. And I felt like if he just did play his game that he had been doing, Let's find out, you know, if this guy is too good. But I didn't even acknowledge it. Sometimes when we get like in that sort of almost like depressed mode on the court, when, when things just, you know, really, really not going our way, it, it is easy to kind of like lose sight of what, what it is that you, that, that, you know, makes you the player that you are. And, I, you know, sometimes you obviously in this instance, you know, the rain delay helped to have that, you know, you, you as a coach, you, you kind of, you know, shaking him awake. But I think, you know, even if you don't have that rain delay, so, you know, so important, you know, in a match to hit that pause button, if things, if you're down and, and kind of just reestablish what it is that makes you the player that you are. The crazy thing is, as a coach, you know, I'm not a yeller, a screamer or anything like that. My coach Shiv was never that. But sometimes in a moment, you don't know what you're going to do. And that night when we were celebrating. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I probably wouldn't be like a don't try this at home type of, yeah. type of story. You know, but sometimes somebody says something that, okay, I wasn't ready for him to just tell me sitting there, the guy was too good. You, you know, if you know, you're, you're ready for a lot of different things. And so it just provoked a response in me. We're all human, right? Yeah. And I just felt like, okay, what I've seen from you from the last 13 days will be good enough to beat this guy if you go back to that mindset. And it wasn't about making any changes in his game other than let's find out what you've been doing if that was good enough. And he actually hit a shoestring volley at four all 
breakpoint that, I mean, was from the heavens before two double faults in a row. I've never seen him double probably twice in a row. And when he made this backhand volley at four all, breakpoint down to hold, to go up five, four in the third, and then he sprinted over his chair, I was thinking to myself, you know what? That was a small win. And and that was me as a player right there in a moment. Sometimes a small win is a big win. Yeah, sort of starts the domino effect, huh? Totally. Now we're going to go from comeback talk to getting listener questions in. We haven't even done it in a few episodes, so... Thanks for uh, hanging in there, everyone, and uh, you know, glad glad to be getting you know back to answering some of your questions. The first is Jeremy from LA. He says, "Watching the U.S. Open without fans, it's interesting to hear how much players celebrate by yelling after winning big points and in the middle of the match. Do you have a philosophy on how much emotion to show in the middle of a match?" It's a good question, you know, because sometimes emotion can drain you physically and mentally. And it's finding that balance. Sometimes if you celebrate too much, you know, you can also crash when things go awry. It was quite interesting to see in the Pass chorich match. Pass was in a tussle. One said, oh, we're deep in the third. And he started to get fired up and lifted his game. He played some great ball to get up two sets to one and 5-1. But the danger, danger, Will Robinson, I think that made a reason for Chorich to not go away. Because I think that sometimes when somebody maybe in their mind on the other side of the net is doing too much, it becomes personal. He gave him a reason to keep fighting. And then all of a sudden, he starts coming back and he starts giving it to Pass. And some of the, you know, the yells were directed right at him. So I always feel like there's a balance. You know, don't do too much or don't celebrate your opponent's error. Don't celebrate a double fault, maybe a key break. But if you are flat or you feel like the crowd is flat or there's nobody there, there's a right time to do it. But just remember, if it's not your personality, you know, fine, a little bit, but don't start going and doing it every single time. Opposed to if you do it all the time, don't not do it. It's finding that balance. But I do really believe that if you do it like premature at one all or two all, it's it just mentally draining a bit. So you just have to find that balance. I'm amazed that players, and I, uh, and there's a lot of female players, that they do fist pumping when they lose a point. And I'm like, I know that psychologists have helped them on that, but that one always like, I, I'm like, wow. But I just say, find your balance because it is draining to overdo it. Yeah, and everybody is a little bit different in that regard. So I think some some people's balances, you know, can lean a little bit more towards showing more emotion than, than someone that's a little bit more, you know, comfortable being a bit more stoic out there. But, you know, for, for each, you know, individual, you got you do got to find that balance. Well, if you hit a running great shot on break point to win this, I mean, there's a time for it. 
I understand that. Yeah, you gotta get a little bit fired yeah, up when yeah, you do something. I, something you got well, to right? get up. Yeah, but sometimes at one all in a set, like Jason Goodall likes to say, early days or early doors in the set. Just remember, you, you know, that find your balance. It's better to be doing it when you're about to win or when you've won. Yeah, you don't you don't want that you don't want to burn out too early too and expend unnecessary your, energy or give your opponent fuel for the fire. Yeah, I, you know it's a, just an observation I I have, but sometimes also in really tight matches, let's say it's like a third set breaker, and I'll always like if I'm trying to like predict who's gonna win, I'll always lean towards towards the player that's staying a bit more calm as opposed to the one that's like, you know, getting pumped up when they win a point, like uh, they're a little bit more up and down emotionally, just because I feel like they're, I can see that they're almost like hoping for the win a little bit more as opposed to the player that that's calm, that just looks like have more belief in themselves and just going to go out about their business. It doesn't always pan out, but I, I sometimes I, 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 I favor that player that just stays a little bit more flatlined in, 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 that, in that deep uh, in the match. But, you know, who knows? It, it, go, it goes either way. It does go either way. And I did think just from watching the U.S. Open this year, that was certainly, you know, of all, of all the weirdness and, you know, things being different than normal, that was, a, that was an interesting thing to pay attention to. What was the players and their, you know, show of emotions and stuff? Because you could hear everything so clearly without the fans there. Especially your first thought is, it's like a lot of club matches. You... You produce what's going to happen. And how is your energy level and intensity going to change when you're down? Because you don't have the crowd. And so it's all about finding that right balance, how you manage that. Totally, totally. Next one is from Ed from New York. He says, I'm 42. I played tennis on and off when I was younger and took it back up again seriously about five years ago. I've gotten to a 4-5 slash 5-0 level. However, I feel like I've been stuck at this level for about six months. My question is, how can an amateur player get to a higher level? And, you know, he sort of said, he, you know, he's had trouble, you know, finding the right coach and, and, you know, doesn't quite have, you know, as much time as he'd like, but he's still looking for that solution to, to kind of get, get from being stuck in his current spot. Okay, a couple things. One, never tell yourself that you've plateaued, you know. Find out if there's something in your game that we can get better, whether or not it's our second serve, it's our forehand, it's our transition game. And a big word in tennis, a massive word in tennis, especially at the 4-5-5-0, because there's a big difference between 4-5 and 5-0, is time. If you're only playing two, three days a week, you know what? Maybe I'm going to have to find time to play four or five days a week. Maybe you know, one day a week, I'm going to have to play at 6 a.m. or I'm going to have to play. So if if you want to get better, I always feel like you have to invest to work on your game. Maybe too, you know what? I, I could play a couple of extra tournaments to, you know, help myself. More match play that you you do, the more relaxed that you do. But one thing that you don't get better on is cheating time. If all of a sudden I'm playing only a few days a week and maybe that's not enough. You know, sometimes people will play more time. But not time. everybody does have the time to go out there and play four or five times a week, though. I understand that. But you know what? I'm that dude that 
I'll go at 6 a.m. and hit for 20 minutes on the wall. You yeah, know? even if it's just a little bit, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, it makes a difference. I, I feel like if you just do a little bit every day, whether or not, even if you don't have the time, bring the racket to the office, swing the racket, work on your ball toss, you know, just walk uh, around swinging the stick. But if you can, once a week, go on the ball machine, go on the wall, but try to find that time. And if you got extra time, play some extra matches. And I and I do think patience is is key too, because as you get better, it is harder to make sort of like leaps and bounds improvements that, that you can, you know, when you're, you know, first getting back in the swing of things. Like you said, you know, all of a sudden, maybe you, you got to get the, take the small wins and focus on just little sections of your game that, that you can improve. You know, your game is not going to get, you know, you're not going to all of a sudden get exponentially better that, that next six months, but you got to take those small wins and, and just, and just be patient with it. Yeah. And most people want instant results, but they want but, you know, working on something, trying to improve something, you know, sometimes doesn't show up in match play. But if we keep working on it and we keep getting better in practice, I, I feel like it will, at some point, it will show up in match play. But I'm that crazy person that feels like time is a good thing to invest. If you want to get better, you need to invest the time and, and you can produce better results. And as you said at the start, you know, of, of of your answer, I think first and foremost, if you tell yourself you're stuck, you're gonna be stuck, and that's that's the the mental switch you gotta you gotta flip there. Hundred percent. Grant from North Carolina. This is this is kind of a funny one. He says, "My tennis buddies make fun of me for drinking only water before and during a match. They say energy energy drinks are much better." I tell him that Brad Gilbert, in my dog-eared copy of Winning Ugly, says, water is the best energy drink of all, as you're taking a swig of water right now as we, as we talk. Grant wants to know, have energy drinks gotten that much better over the years, or are you still strictly a water guy like me? Grant, a great question. And not only am I a crazy water dude, I don't even drink cold water. I was drinking, you know... I. I my whole career, I drink room temperature water. There's some science behind that, though, because if you drink cold water, your body actually has to burn a, a little bit more on the calorie department than room temperature yes, water. I didn't even know that. Yeah. I just, I've just done it. And if anything, I tend to drink warmer water. But there are some way better recovery drinks and drinks on the court because I saw what Andre drank. I saw what Murray and Roddick. There's yeah, Murray was very big into the, the I mean, obviously now we see all the guys and you, you joke about the, the their physios being their mixologists yeah. for all the, the drinks they bring on the court. And, and believe it or not, if you're playing in North Carolina in, in July or August and it's 96 degrees and 80% humidity, Having one of those drinks that give you a little more, whether or not it's more salt, it's more energy. And you know what it's really big is probably the recovery after. In my day, it was definitely a lot of water and a couple of beers maybe at night afterwards. But but I, I can tell you that seeing some of the players that I've been with, the recovery drink afterwards is probably as important as anything. And I'm really convinced that no food or drink on the court is going to help you if you didn't start. The one thing that I always did 
I don't know why, but the night before, I'd drink at least a half a gallon to three quarters of a gallon to where I'm getting up a bunch of times in the night, you know, because I feel like if if you try to drink too much while you're on the court, you get that side cray, you get waterlogged. And actually, believe it or not, when I was on the court, I never guzzled, you know, and even if I had like those energy drinks, I would be more probably drinking it evenly, but I still really believe your food and your drink the night before is absolutely crucial. So go and invest and find out about some of these drinks and start to give them a try. I'm 59 years old, so I'm not playing in anything. But believe it or not, if I was playing in something and it was going to be really hot, I I might want to find out about one of these drinks. I mean, as of now, it's only water for me uh, and still beers. (laughs) No, I've always actually been amazed at how little water you do drink when we're out there on play. Like, you'll drink half a bottle of water over playing for an hour. And I've always been someone that that definitely drinks a little bit more out there on the court. I even was, I think, joking with a a friend of mine that I think that might have been one of your, you know, secret strengths was that you you could actually play well uh, like under only moderate hydration and I thought that might have helped you on the on the jet lag factor that where some guys don't have quite as much energy off a long flight and you seem to be fine. I don't know. I think it's just cuz you're you're like somehow used to operating while being not like a crazy level of of hydration. But then I didn't really think about how much you you do drink the night before a big match? Yeah, and and, and so many guys. I, I in my day, I heard guys drinking pickle juice and all sorts of crazy things to stop cramps. And I I always would feel like if you worry about something like that happening, it's going to happen. So I just was always like, okay, I'm just going to drink as much as I can. And then Gil Gil Reyes would. Make sure that Andre would drink one of these gill waters, and he would re- he would just like sixty four ounces at like ten o'clock at night, you, you know, it, it filled with a bunch of stuff. And and I would, well, how come you want to get him into? Listen, we get him in the system tonight. They're much more effective twelve hours later. If you put them in the system an hour before or while you're on the court, they're not nearly as effective. Andre didn't drink those drinks nearly as much on the court as, let's say, once I started drink uh, working with Roddick or Murray. And you see the guys now have umpteen. But I do really believe night before for club players, for anybody, whether or not it's water, which your uh, your drink that you drink. Start doing it and preparing the night before. Same with your food. Yeah, it's got to be like at least a half day before. I mean, if you're not properly hydrated going into a match, it's it's, it's already too late for the. I mean, for the most part. I mean, you can you can try to make up for it during a match, but it's not it's not going to be the same. Zero chance you're going to make up for it. It's like if you haven't put in the work two weeks ago, you're not going to magically get fit while you're there. I like coconut water, by the way. I, I got to throw that one in there. That's been one of my you know, favorites and it's all natural and got the electrolytes and potassium. So I'm, I'm a, I'm a proponent of that one. You know what? I'm crazy too. And that like, if I did do something and it was working, that's kind of how I am on a lot of things. It's the power of belief. I always used to just, you know, feel like, you know what? Water's okay. And, and then Gatorade would be too sweet or sodas. I would see people drink. Yeah, Gatorade's like sugar water. Yeah, and then people would drink a, you know, seltzer water, like, you know, Perrier's and stuff like that. I said, you know, I'm fine. And they always want to give you the cold. Just give me some room temperature water. I'm fine. Speaking of belief, 
Got to bring it back around to the comebacks, our topic of today. Any final notes on what people at home need to be thinking when they get down and need to mount a comeback? I found myself just absolutely taken back, thrilled, watching all of this transpire. And then when you watch things like this happen, I'm that person, I think about why it happened, how it's going to happen, and how you can do it at home. First of all, it's the power of belief. It, it, it's believing that a small win in a match when you're down is one game. And it's almost like I start thinking about, let's get this game. Let's get a lead in a game. Make it simple with yourself. Make, get a lead in a game. Get the game. If I haven't broken serve, let's get a lead. Let's get a love 15. Let's get a fifth 30. Let's get a lead for a small win. And small wins make a huge difference in your belief. And a lot of times in these matches, they're 15-minute windows. And if all of a sudden you had a bad hour and 30, a good 15 can all of a sudden make your opponent start to think, uh-oh, this thing isn't as safe as I thought. And it starts to give you belief that that lead isn't as, as bad as it is. And then also too, I like to, to think about and tell myself, if you made a little adjustment and it starts to work, stay with it. Even if that wasn't your game plan or you, your opponent didn't think it was going to be your game plan. If it's bringing you back, stay with it. Because sometimes you see people have a little success, two, three, and then they go right back to something that wasn't good before. Something's working. Stay with it. Yeah, and I think it doesn't happen that often that someone goes through an entire match without having at least one little dip. So as long as you keep plugging away and and hanging in there mentally and, and staying with it and, and being there for that, you know, dip, I, it, it can just, the match can turn on a dime. But if you've already sort of checked out, then you're probably not gonna be able to take advantage of that dip. That word that you just said is my biggest pet peeve in the greatness of tennis and the greatness of any sport. I just checked out. When you check out at any level, the next time you played that person, what's he thinking? He checked out. I'm going to hang with him. He's going to check out. The one thing that you can control is compete to the last point. Sometimes you don't play that well. But that word, check out, do it at the grocery store. <laughs> don't do it in the match. Do it when you go anywhere else. You're buying something. Not when you're playing an opponent, you know, in either, you know, singles or doubles. No checkout. That's funny. Yeah, no. Keep keep checking out for the, the grocery store or the hotel, but not, not the tennis court. Exactly, buddy. Yeah.